We are for business by business. Every boardroom presentation will have a data analysis pack there. Anyone who's not doing this in the next 10 years will be left behind. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss housing and hospitality. We also talk to Sean McGrath, the new Chief Executive of Entrepreneurial Scotland. And in the boardroom this week, Tom and Willie answer your calls and provide brilliant business advice. If you have a question or simply want guidance, get in touch by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Gentlemen, Willie, but in particular, you've been hitting the headlines this week with your plan to spend a billion pounds on 11,000 houses. Talk us through your vision. Uh, thanks, Donald. Just going to take a while. <laughs> yeah, for the past uh, two years, I've been heavily involved in, in looking at the whole housing crisis. And uh, after months and months and months of... Actually, going around the world looking at housing projects in Toronto and Philadelphia and Vienna and, and coming back to Glasgow and looking at the problems and how terrible it is that young families who are striving to get on can't get on the property ladder and they can't get a mortgage, they, they can't get a deposit to, to put down in a house. I just thought that there had to be a better way. So this is not an overnight thing. I've been working on this for a long, long time. But one of the things I did was I spoke to everyone. I spoke to architects. I spoke to builders. I spoke to people in the supply chain. I spoke to, you know, everyone involved in housework. But nobody had ever taken time to speak to the tenants. So I, I must have spoke to about 60 people who had been had mortgages, who had bought houses, but also had been living in rented accommodation. And although there's a lot of talk about, you know, social and affordable housing, one of the, the biggest problems that we have, especially in the west of Scotland, is actually in the private rented sector. So it's the mid-market, you know, everywhere between, you know, 600 to 2,000 pound, you know, a month in rent. And I just decided that I would try and use um, the learning that I've had in, in, in my own business and the technology that we use to deliver products to see if we could... I think disrupt is the right word, I think, to see if we could disrupt the whole house building and the, the rental market. So what's going to make your housing different and allow you to make it more affordable? Well, it's easy answer is that we're going to subsidise it. So it's, you know, it's part of philanthropy. But so we are going to, you know, when people, I got a letter from a, a, a civil servant for the government yesterday said we're intrigued by your model. Uh, which really in West of Scotland speak is like we don't believe your model. <laughs> so I've had to uh, I had to explain well you won't because that we are actually subsidising you know the building of the house. If we were to charge the correct price for building the house, though rather than seven hundred pound a month, it'd probably be fourteen or fifteen hundred pound a month. That's great. And eleven thousand homes by twenty thirty. That's yeah. quite ambitious. Yeah. Well, we are at the moment. We've started the first thousand. So, you know, I'm lovely seeing the, the site yesterday uh, um, getting started with being dug up. And uh, I hope to have the first 356 ready in uh, you know, two years' time. But at the same time, we'll be starting the second site. So we should deliver the first thousand within the next two and a half to three years. And then in that period, we'll be working on the next site. The next site. So we're home to build a thousand a, a year. Um, we'll start at 500, build up to a thousand. 1250 and hopefully by the time we get to year six, seven, eight, nine, we'll be at the 1750 a year. And that's a, that's a good level which is achievable. Some of the big builders at the moment, you know, Barrett will build 16,000 in half a year, you know, and the, you know, Cruden's might build 4,000 in, in a year, you know. So, um, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're confident that we can, we can get up to the level that we need to deliver that amount. And what I should say is, if, if this works, you know, that we should be able to generate enough cash by the time we get to 2030, so in 10 years' time approximately, that we generate enough cash in the business to build 2,000 a year every year without borrowing any money. Brilliant. And it's also going to mean jobs, and you're really keen on apprenticeships. Yeah, there'll be thousands of jobs in the construction 
and there'll be hundreds of meaningful apprenticeships. I mean, we're going to start off straight away very soon. Um, I'm going to work hand-in-hand with Glasgow Council here with their RSBI, which is a fantastic facility that they have, you know, um, up in, in the north of Glasgow where they manufacture and really, you know, that they... You know, it's great that they employ people who are less able. It's fantastic that we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to spend a, a large part of the money in our procurement with RSBI, which we're delighted with. So we're going to create jobs there and we're, we're going to create hundreds of apprenticeships and RSBI are building a brand new training centre and we're hoping to do a deal with them that we can start with 100 apprentices straight away. A great story, as exclusively revealed in the Herald this week. Get my wee plug in. Tom, <laughs> what did you make of it? Well, I just think it's fantastic. I think um, when the history books are written in Scotland, there'll be a chapter on the hockey family and Scotland is lucky to have them. So, well done, Willie. It's just, it's a game changer for Scotland, Donald. It's looking at a market, it's putting the customer, I mean, Willie's just said it, nobody ever spoke to the customer here. Well, he's looked at it and it's part philanthropic and it's part putting down the roots for the hockey family long after Willie and Susan have have departed, quite frankly. But it is game-changing, it's fantastic, it's just... I'm very proud of my pal, Willie. Great. Thank you, Tom. I'd like to add, Donald, that what we're trying to do here is... Uh, I'm going to try and demonstrate to, to young people that there is a better model than, you know, my home is my castle, I'm going to get a mortgage and I'm going to have equity. This model will give you the equity in your bank every month, right? If we get this right in 50 years' time, no one will bother whether they own their house or not. Fantastic. Well, we would raise a glass to you, but uh, unfortunately Glasgow's been badly hit again by the last minute move back to, to level three. Trader furious to saying the Scottish government doesn't listen, doesn't understand how their business works. A lot of them lost a lot of cash. Boris taking a different approach. He's saying we're trying desperately to keep the businesses going while managing the outbreaks. So who's got the right approach, Tom? Yeah, so here we go. Um, we're driven by the data, we're driven by the science, we're driven by all sorts of things. But if the Scottish government had collaborated with people in the trade, they would have come up with a better decision. I mean, the vaccination stats in Scotland are brilliant and they're to be applauded and the Scottish government should be applauded for that. But why are we, if we're all getting vaccinated, why are we locking down again? You know, Um it's the the let off for the government is they can always say, well, we're just trying to be cautious and we're trying to be safe. And that seems to cover a whole bunch of stuff. But if you're in the licensed trade, you've invested in your premises, you've you've followed the guidelines, you've you've spent CapEx to get safely open, and then on a Friday you're told Monday you cannot open. All the beer gets poured down the drain, Willie, and I really feel for the people in those businesses. Really? Yeah, I think all sectors, you know, have been affected, but I think the hospitality sector has been affected the most, and it's a real, real shame. You know, they've spent a lot of money, you know, getting ready, and it's it's all been false dawns. So uh, I, I totally understand, you know, if the Indian variant, you know, had not had the effect that it's been having throughout the UK, maybe then, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd be okay, we'd be on tier two. But I think that, we, we talked about it last week, but the the hospitality industry and the city, the city that we know in Glasgow, you know, I, I think has been affected far more than most. And I think that we have to do whatever we can to help them because if not... We spoke about it last week. I, I think the redundancies are, are, are going to be eye-watering. Well, we've got a new cabinet. We've just all been appointed. Changes in education. Swinney moved to a new COVID recovery role. Fergus Ewing axed or left by his own accord, depending on who you uh, read. And the linking of green issues with transport as part of that brief. And, of course, Finance Minister Kate Forbes getting an expanded brief. 
What did you make of the changes and appointments, Tom? Well, I suppose... I don't know much about football, but I suppose it's like the beginning of the season. We're all optimistic and we think our team can win. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think there are there is some grounds for optimism. I think Cape Forbes on the finance and expanded economy role um, in my dealings with her, which have not been many, but I've found her very positive. She listens, um, she gets on with it, and I I really hope she's going to collaborate with business to make these better policy decisions. Don't do it to business, do it with business. Um, I also like that John Swinney has got a role in the COVID recovery. John is a fantastic minister, actually, and um, we work a lot with him in the Hunter Foundation. So, yeah, I think there's some grounds for optimism, but as ever, I will judge people on what they do, not what they say. Willie, can you really link green issues in with transport? That, that will be a challenge. <laughs> that will be a challenge. That is definitely, you know, when you look at that portfolio, that will be one step forward, one step back. Um, and, and I just need to say good luck on that. But overall in the cabinet, um, and I say this to everybody listening, no matter what your politics are, once the people have voted and you end up with a government and you end up with cabinet ministers, if you love the country the way that we do, you want the best for the country. So I wish them all the best. I'm delighted that Kate, Forbes has um, actually had her role extended so you know she's got finance and the economy which is great because they both go together uh, and I think that's a really good move um, and I'd be interested and hopefully I'll be working with Shona Robinson to try and help with the 100,000 affordable homes that, that's, but, but hopefully we need COVID out the way now and we need to start building confidence in the country but we need to work together to try and make this a much, much better place to be. Yeah, I mean, listen, Scotland is a small place. We can get the people who matter round a table, Willie, and we can knock heads together and we can make things happen. But, you know, as Willie said many times, and the whole purpose of this show, we, we're not yet on here talking about our own book. We're on because we love Scotland, we want to see Scotland prosper, and we've got a point of view, you know, um, there's a lot of business people out there who want to help. They want to make Scotland flourish. They want to do it in collaboration with government. And it's over to government now. Our door is open. All we want is to help. I will make sure that I um, put an offer out to, to the finance minister, to Kate, to see if she'd be willing to come on the show and maybe tell the people of some of our plans once she gets her feet under the table. Brilliant. That'll be great. Now in the latest of our series in Great Scots, we tell the story of Sir Robert McAlpine. Born in 1847 in Forth, South Lanarkshire, Sir Robert McAlpine was an innovative builder who quickly changed the face of construction in Scotland. Sir Robert was a pioneer in the use of concrete and labour-saving machinery and was fondly nicknamed Concrete Bob by many in the industry. At the age of just 22, he formed his own construction company, which still remains in operation to this day, under the name Sir Robert McAlpine Limited. The foundation of his company came as no surprise to his peers. Sir Robert left school at just 10 years old, but in spite of his lack of educational background, he firmly established himself early on as both an accomplished businessman and a skilled builder. Over time, McAlpine established his business as a key player in housing development, building vast estates in Hamilton and Lark Hall, before later going on to construct the impressive Singer Factory in Glasgow in 1882. Then in 1884, he became involved in his first railway project, building the Lanarkshire and Ayrshire Railways, complete with 82 bridges and viaducts. Over the coming years, business continued to boom as McAlpine completed a variety of notable projects, including the Glasgow District Subway. McAlpine's success was rapid, but thoroughly deserved. By the time of the First World War, the business was operating all over Europe and made a rather significant contribution to the war effort. In recognition of this, Robert McAlpine was made a baronet in 1918. Following the war, McAlpine's completed a variety of monumental projects, ranging from Wembley Stadium in 1923 to the Dorchester Hotel in 1931. In more recent times, McAlpine's has been responsible for such landmarks as the Millennium Dome, the Emirates Stadium and, in 2016, 
the city of Glasgow College. Sir Robert McAlpine passed away in 1934, leaving behind a true legacy of innovation that would continue to influence construction for generations to come. Great Scots on the Go Radio Business Show. Well, Willie, you're certainly following in his footsteps and looking to create a legacy of innovation and building. Uh, if I managed to succeed in a quarter of what Sir Robert McAlpine achieved, I would be absolutely delighted. But um, building in Lark Hall, Willie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what a story and what an inspiration! And that is the things that Tom has been talking about every week for everyone starting out. This is what can be achieved, right? There, there is no limit to the, the sectors that Sir Robert looked at. He looked, you know, he didn't just say, we're going to be a construction company. He looked at where the world was going. Transport was the big thing, building bridges. Now, if you think about, you know, we talk about great Scots, just think about, in travel alone, the difference that Sir Robert, Thomas Telfer and Dunlop made in travel. So that's what Scots have done throughout the world. Right, and if you if you put that together, I think between them, they took the travel time at one time to get from Glasgow to Edinburgh was two days, and with their their ingenious ways of working, they cut it down to four and a half hours. Right, it's up to about five hours today now, you know, with the traffic. But I mean, there is if anyone wants inspiration who's in the construction industry and the building industry, don't look any further than Sir Robert McAlpine. Yeah, I was I was down in London last week and um, I was in meetings and somebody was kind of moaning Willie about oh I'm having to do this in the travel and I actually said do you know the story of these people who were in the 1800s were going to China you know we talked about yeah. it were going to the Far East and it took them six weeks to get there and you're moaning about going to Cambridge <laughs> it, it, it's amazing Donald, that when people talk to me about the show how much that they really enjoyed this the two minutes yeah. when we talk about great Scots and, and it gave people inspiration it's brilliant yeah. it's great coming up after the break we'll be talking to Sean McGrath the new Chief Executive of Entrepreneurial Scotland don't forget, if you want to be part of the board you can't afford, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey, supporting the lifeblood of the Scottish economy. Welcome back as we are joined by Sean McGrath, the new Chief Executive of Entrepreneurial Scotland. If you want business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, you can email us at gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Sean, congratulations on your appointment and welcome to the show. Donald, thanks a million. Uh, really great to be here. Firstly, for the benefit of any listeners who aren't aware of Entrepreneurial Scotland, what is the organisation and who is it aimed at? So um, Entrepreneurial Scotland Foundation is an independent charitable foundation and we've been going in one shape or another now for the last 25 years. And our mission at Entrepreneurial Scotland is to make Scotland the most entrepreneurial society in the world. And the organisation exists really to promote the power of entrepreneurialism and not just the traditional concept of an entrepreneur in terms of someone who sets up a business and, uh, and and runs a business, but actually entrepreneurial thought and people who can think, act and lead in an entrepreneurial way. What we try and do is we try and work with people who have the potential to be entrepreneurial, whether they're running a business now or leading someone else's business, or whether they're young people who have the potential to go on to be that next generation of future leaders that Scotland needs. You're currently the finance director and you take charge in July. Is it not about worrying an accountant in charge of innovation and enterprise? <laughs> are, you, are you trying to suggest the two things don't go together? Donald? I need to be really careful because my boss is also, <laughs> also an accountant. So I'll, I'll, I'll swap that around. What will you bring to the role as CEO? <laughs> no, look, it's a great question. Um, and actually, it's one I'm really pleased that, that you ask because there, there is a perception, and, you know, and in a lot of cases, quite rightly, a perception of accountants and, and how accountants are. But genuinely, hand on heart, I believe that accountants themselves can be an amazing source of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And those that aren't entrepreneurs are an incredible resource for people who are entrepreneurial. 
I can't uh, I can't remember who it was that said it, but um, what's that old phrase that you you know you need a good priest, a, a good accountant, and a good doctor. Um, so you know I, I'm not sure which one of those categories I'd fit into, but you know it's those things that are are, are important. And so we work actually with ICAS and we do a bit of work with them around how do we help accountants to understand how an entrepreneur works and how their mind you know. Uh, tackles problems and how can they best support people who are entrepreneurial. You worked in sales with leading brands, uh, including, I believe, Red Bull and Monster.com, but you took a 70% pay cut back in 2011, I believe, to retrain as an accountant. Why? Although, obviously, it's paid off now. (laughs) What made you do that then? Yeah, uh, I didn't have enough foresight to see that it would pay off to to this level, I have to say, but... um, You know, I get asked that question a fair bit. And to be honest, it was a really easy decision. Um, I was was working in sales at the time um, and I was having a great time and I was, you know, I was quite successful at it and doing quite well. And uh, I found myself going out and dealing with business owners and people running businesses. And I always had an ambition to sit in that chair. I always knew that I wanted to to lead and, and I wanted to, you know, influence the growth of an organization. And I started to talk to the people who were running the businesses. And I really found out that actually a lot of the decisions were made by either the finance director or they were made by the managing director, who, as, as you know, uh, suddenly was an accountant or was previously the finance uh, guy. So He's doing a great job, by the way. Amazing <laughs> job <laughs> I've heard. Yes, amazing <laughs> job, yeah. Um, but so for me, it was pretty clear that, look, it, it was a route towards where I wanted to go and... It's funny because actually the, the, the skills that have helped me or the attributes that have helped me to, to kind of get to, thankfully, this position today are not necessarily the ones I learned as an accountant. They're the ones I learned when I was in sales on the coal face of things. But it was the credibility that I got as an accountant that helped me to progress and, and push on and gave me the, the basis. Before people start feeling sorry for you with a seventy percent, you know, pay reduction, we should tell them you're on six hundred grand a year. <laughs> oh, easily, at least, of course. Yeah, um, I'm not sure who was signing that page. Yeah. <laughs> the chairman likes to joke with me at uh, Entrepreneurial Scotland because I, I told him the story about how I, I handed back the keys to my company car and got on the bus uh, to head down to Deloitte and retrain, and, and he jumps in because he's uh, Colin Robertson, uh, Alexander Dennis. He goes, "I hope it was one of my buses." <laughs> <laughs> what do you see as the main challenges ahead? And for and for the organisation itself, um, yeah, there's there's a there, you know there's an abundance of challenges out there. Um, organisations like ours wouldn't exist if there weren't. But our biggest challenge there's kind of two huge challenges that we want to face and that I'd like to try and tackle uh, as CEO. Uh, and the first one is a cultural challenge. It's a cultural change uh, within Scotland, and you'll have detected from the accent that I'm Irish myself and we have the same issues across the water too it's this cultural I won't resistance is the wrong word but this cultural issue with getting ahead or being successful or wanting to be successful uh, and a fear of failure uh, and people branding you as a failure when in actual fact failure is the best route to success so we have a huge mission uh, in front of us a huge challenge in front of us to try and bring people together and to help them to understand the importance of connecting with other individuals to create a cultural change where it's okay to succeed. Sean, can I ask you, Tom has been involved with most things entrepreneurial from day dot. I mean, I think he was at the, the, the forefront of the starting of Entrepreneurial Exchange back in the day before it morphed into Entrepreneurial Scotland. One of the things since I've been involved in it that uh, I've hoped that we could absolutely deliver was a connectivity and that the conveyor belt from start up to successful business that people work together. And it's fair to say that Tom and myself have seen over the years that that has not always been the case. Where, where do you think we are in Scotland with people getting on and trying to work together, the different various organisations that are part of the chain? That's exactly, that. that's challenge number two for us. So that's exactly what we're trying to solve as well. So we do a great, uh, program uh, with the Scottish government called the Can Do Collective, and the idea behind this it's based on collective impact, which is a uh, which is a methodology that came out of MIT, 
And the idea is about bringing people together. It's a very simple idea, bringing people together to collaborate on a thing that they're passionate about and setting an individual vision that everyone can follow and then corralling them and pointing them in the right direction. So we do that in conjunction with the Scottish government and uh, we do it to bring the ecosystem that supports entrepreneurs together. Uh, and we have over 80 organizations that are involved in that and we're all rowing in the same direction and the collaboration that comes out of it is amazing. And it's one of the things that we see as a huge challenge going forward. So there's connectivity on an individual basis and connectivity on a government basis and, and business basis. And I know that you guys will talk quite a bit about government and um, the, the relationship between business. And one of the things that we would like to do in Entrepreneurial Scotland is to try and help to bring those parties together. Because there's, I think it was uh, Winston Churchill who described Britain and uh, America as, a, as two great nations divided by a common language. And, and at the moment, it's a very similar situation with business and government in Scotland. We work every day with businesses who really care about Scotland and they care about Scottish society and they care about making a difference and being part of the solution, not the problem. But we also work every day with people in government who feel exactly the same. They care about society. They care about pushing things forward. And what we'd love to do is we'd love to create that connectivity all the way down. So not just at a senior level, but right the way down the ranks. Yeah, one of the things you'll be invited on to, Sean, is the advisory board for Scottish Edge, led by um, Evelyn, who's been on the show. And um, it was actually you and Hunter, the chief exec of our foundation, who came up with the idea of getting everybody around the same table, Willie. So we have the chief exec of... Um, Entrepreneurial Scotland, we've got Business Gateway, we've got Scottish Enterprise, we've got the government, we've got everybody who's interested in this and they sit round the Edge Advisory Board. And it's it's been a really good thing because we can, you know, we can have heated discussions, but we get things done there, Sean. So so Sandy was part of that and now hopefully you will join us as well. Be delighted to talk. Great. Brilliant. You're also a passionate advocate of leadership development. Why is that so important? I th to me, an organisation is only as good as its people. And, you know, you'll have so many leaders that will talk about that and they'll say that and they'll believe it, but they'll forget to include themselves in that statement too. And it's so important that people understand that Everything is set by them. When you, when you sit at the head of an organization, it's all set by you. And if you don't invest in yourself, nobody starts out on, on this journey. I'm sat in a room with two of the most successful people uh, in business in Scotland, and I'm sure you guys would agree that when you started out, you didn't know everything that you needed to know. You still don't. <laughs> <laughs> Not halfway there. You might say that now. I possibly couldn't. Every day's a school day for... For us, that's for sure. Yeah, so that's what we're trying to drive at. And actually, the things that we do at Entrepreneurial Scotland in terms of connectivity, really, we don't teach people anything particularly new because there's a lot of amazing knowledge that's out there that they can, you know, they can find themselves in books and YouTube's an amazing resource. There's lots of knowledge out there. It's actually about bringing them together with other people in the same situation as them and helping them to learn from each other and most of the business leaders that I speak to it's actually personal things it's their own confidence and their own resilience that actually is what's leading the journey for them. We also hear a lot about upskilling but what are the key skills you need to be a good leader? So we talk a lot in Entrepreneurial Scotland about entrepreneurial CPR and, and when we talk about that, what we talk about is confidence, passion, and resilience. Now, I, I'm an accountant to trade, so if it doesn't fit on a spreadsheet, if you can't put it in the balance sheet, you know, my training tells me you can't value it. But yet here I am talking to you guys about confidence, passion, and resilience, three of the most intangible things <laughs> that you can find. But they're the most important skills that we can impart on people. And it's funny because people will often come to us and they'll say, right, well, I need to bone up on my project management skills. I need to bone up on my finance skills. I need to do this. I need to do that. And when we get down to it, they don't. They don't need to bone up on those things at all. They need to bone up on their confidence and their resilience to protect their passion, 
for their business. Because without that, they can't succeed. Excellent. Is that right? Is it about the passion for the business? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, Sean, is there anything Willie and I can do to help? Because, you know, the whole reason Willie put the show together was it's for business, by business, and we we say it every week, but we genuinely want to help. And I should say to the people who are listening enjoy the show, Sean played a part in the show actually coming to fruition. I had the idea to do it, and then um, Sandy told me that Sean had been a part of a, a similar show in Ireland, and uh, I phoned him, and he, and he actually convinced me, it was him that convinced me to start the show. So thank you for that, Sean, and for the people who don't know out there, you wouldn't be listening if it wasn't for him. Well done, Sean. That's amazing, yeah. And yeah. thank you for the royalty checks, of course, that'll flow from it as well. Yeah. You know, I'm very pleased. Yeah. <laughs> no, but we are, we, we are delighted and we are going to try every single day to work on that connectivity. So that yeah. big, big problem you've got that you're trying to solve, we, we want to help in any way we can by that. That's amazing. And a huge thank you to you guys as well for this because one of the reasons that, you know, I, I'm so pleased and so keen to be involved is because community is the work we do with the government through collective impact has taught us collective impact methodology has taught us that together we can do so much more and that's why something like this show is so important because it gives people that connected sense of being that asynchronous experience that that we can all talk about and and we find that with the people that we work with in the community the people know the show and it gives them a chance to talk about something and the more we can do to bring people together, the more we can achieve. Brilliant. The show, Great. The show's given out a lot of advice every single week. Brilliant business advice. I've got to ask you, what's the best piece of advice that you've had? Oh, gosh, I've, I've had a lot over the years. <laughs> um, mostly involves stop talking. But <laughs> uh, I think the best bit of advice that, that I've received, um, you know, and it's it's again it's not any particular wisdom that people won't have heard before but it's it's about being yourself um so many of us uh, I, had, I had an amazing call just, just before i came on the show with someone who wanted to sign up on one of our programs um and it was an individual who started a, an engineering consultancy firm doing amazing things and he talked about his journey in terms of he started off the engineering business and he was out with his suit and tie and he thought i needed to be somebody else i needed to be professional and he realized once he dropped that and he was himself and he just presented himself as, as and the nice likable guy that he was, that his business took off. So as long as you are passionate about what you want to do, then just follow that and, and, and be yourself. Good advice. Fantastic advice to end on. So, yes, I'm passionate about my job, but I think I need to look at an accountancy course if I'm going to go anywhere. But thank you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next is The Board You Can't Afford with Hunter and Hockey. If you're looking for some business insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The board you couldn't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with business advice, insight and inspiration. It's the board you can't afford. If you have any questions you want read out on the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. We're going to our phone lines now and first up is Jacqueline Lamb, who's the Chief Exec of the Indigo Childcare Group, which is a social enterprise based in Castle Milk. Welcome to the show, Jacqueline. Hi there, thank you for having me. You've got a question for Tom and Willie. Yes, so we're about to enter into a, a, a partnership arrangement, a loosely termed partnership arrangement for a new project that we're working on. And I was wondering if you had any advice or guidance for us in terms of the best way forward in terms of making a collaborative uh, approach successful, something that keeps it, keeps it simple but protects both organisations what your advice would be hi, hi Jacqueline it's Tom here how are you doing good thank you good. so listen first of all tell me a wee bit about Indigo Child Care Group um, how it came about and what you're trying to do give it give it a wee plug 
Sure, that's great. Thank you. So um, Indigo Child Care Group, uh, is, we're quite a unique organisation in that we offer um, childcare solutions for uh, families with children from six weeks through to 16 years. So a parent can come to us with their baby at maybe six weeks old and they don't ever need to worry about childcare again. Um, because we'll transition them through all of our different services all the way through until they're 16. So I think for working families, that's that's really crucial. But I think more so in terms of our ambitions around outstanding quality, then what that means for, for our families is that we're working really hard to raise aspirations um, in, in areas of, of quite significant deprivation in some cases uh, in, in and around Glasgow, um, raise their aspirations in terms of their attainment and their learning, um, so that so that the outcomes that they have in future are uh, are exciting and positive. Right, good. Well, I mean, it it sounds a fantastic organisation, Jacqueline, and um, you're going into this collaboration. I think I think you've hit it in the head. Keep it simple. You know, people do business with people. So if you can say, this is what I want, your collaborator can say, this is what I want, is it going to work? Let's learn by doing, let's keep it simple, let's keep communicating, and um, let's go on with it. I mean, that's that's the only tips I can give. Willie, what, what are you thinking? Morning, Jacqueline. Good morning. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Jacqueline, I'm very, very fortunate uh, that um, most of my larger... Um, contracts throughout the world are actually partnerships. Uh-huh. So they're all built on collaboration. Yeah. And the, the one thing that you've got to have to make any sort of JV work with collaboration is trust. Yeah. Right, so forget about legal documents, forget about how you've protected yourself, that yeah. you have to absolutely trust that the people that you're collaborating with uh, you know, are what they say in the tin, they will deliver and they will work hard to work with you to deliver that. Uh-huh. And 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 I have to say that I've been very fortunate that um, with some of my clients, as I say, throughout the globe, that we are probably on our fourth or fifth uh, contract with them. You know, Walmart, Coles in Australia, Marks and Spencers here. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that um, we said at the start that when we signed this huge document for the collaboration, that um, although we have this legal document that's cost us a fortune, the first time that we actually have to look at the document, then the partnership is over. Sure. So I think for you, it's make sure that this partner is an absolute correct fit for what you're trying to achieve. Sure. Great advice, sir. Yeah, that's that's really really helpful. Could I could I quickly ask if you have any thoughts on the best way, I guess, to 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 work together to create that thinking. I would spend a lot of time with a potential partner, you know, hours and hours, days and days before I signed any agreement to be 100% certain that it was going to work. You know, have away days, get your ideas, find all the things that you'll not agree about before you get into the partnership. Sure. Yeah, and if if, if these are not surmountable, then fine, you know, you, you, you've got a problem or you'll know that things are going to be okay going forward. Yeah, Jacqueline, that's that's great advice from from Willie. So, will you will you keep in touch with the show? Let us know how you're getting on, and listen. Good luck with it. Yeah, we'd love to. Thanks very much. Right, you're welcome. Good all, luck. Cheers. All the best. Ta ta. Thanks for Bye. the call. Bye. Okay, next up is Dougie Morrison, a youth employability coordinator for Working Right. Dougie, welcome to the show. Hi there. How you doing? We're great. So what's your question for Tom and Willie? Uh, my question actually was in relation to working with local businesses just now. So our role was to actually help young people move into employment, such as apprenticeships. And um, what advice and support could um, Tom and Willie offer in relation to how we should engage with small and medium enterprise businesses uh, you know, a post-COVID world? Tom? Yeah, Hi, hi, Dougie. How are you? It's Tom here. I'm very good, thanks. Good. Well, listen, I, I, I know a wee bit about working right and you do a great job down there. I mean, what I would say is trying to um, get more employers involved helping you out and you can help them out. And I would say one satisfied customer leads to another. Therefore, if you have a good engagement, speak to the principal of that business and say, 
could you give me a lead and a reference into the next one? And that word of mouth really carries a lot because the business owners will speak to each other and say, yeah, working right was really good for us. I would recommend them. And that's the best sort of um, advertising or marketing you could ever get. Is that is that something you do right now, or as actually strange enough, we've um, just started engaging with businesses, certainly in Kilmarnock, and uh, for the young people. So that this program's a wee bit unusual, where it's a pilot delivered through SIP, where we work with young people that's about to leave school, and um, you know now that we've started to come out of lockdown. We've started engaging with businesses to help move the young people into employment opportunities. And we are seeing, interesting enough, that, you know, word of mouth does help. Um, so that, that's fantastic, you know, to, for you to um, you know, confirm that is a good route for us. Willie? Yeah, good morning, Dougie. Hi, Willie. Um, yeah, and as Tom says, great job that you do. One bit of advice I would give you is that make sure that when you're talking to businesses that first and foremost that they can afford an apprenticeship. Right. Okay. Right. So don't feel as if that you're trying to foist kids onto people. So you know, obviously you'll start off with the big companies and work your way down to the SMEs. Sure. Yep. And also, in my experience of this, where we have done this quite a bit, is that try and get a real good idea of what the kid would like to try and do. Yeah, in fact, I... You know, and if you've got an understanding of that, then try to match them, you know, with local authorities. And and to be honest with you, in my experience, it's, it's always been that slick presenter who's always came and convinced me to, you know, to give another chance to someone else. So um, I think that you need a really good forward-facing salesperson that interacts with the, with the various companies. Magic. Is that helpful then for you, Dougie? Uh, no, no, I tell you what, that's great advice. And, um, you know, again, that's part of our programme, really, where three months we work with them to make sure that they, they kind of roughly know what they want to do, which seems to be working for us. Yeah. So, listen, Dougie, that's brilliant. I think the Hunter Foundation are, are supporting you down in Ayrshire as well. Yeah, so, that's correct, Tom. Yeah, right. um, which again is fantastic. Brilliant. So, anything we can do to help, because you're doing a good job. So, good luck to you. Good luck. Our next caller is David Ross, who's the MD of Sanandaf, which is a, a company providing fogging and electrostatic spraying infection control services. Wow. Oh, struggle to get that out. So, welcome to the show, David. Well done, Donald. Thank you. What's your question for Tom and Willie? Okay. Um, well, over the last year and a half, all businesses have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Sanandaf, as you said in your intro there, um, specialise in disinfection and decontamination. We provide industry-leading infection control services. So as you guys can imagine, we have uh, seen massive changes to our business over the last year and a half. Pre-COVID, we were mostly working for NHS or uh, private medical for laboratory clients, people that really needed zero viruses and bacteria in their environments. But now we're providing infection control across all sectors, from national transport to nurseries, care homes, offices, factories, really just about anything. So my question really is, what do you think the future will look like for infection control in the UK as businesses are striving to ensure safer workplaces for their staff and their clients? And in your opinion, are businesses aware of what they can do to create and maintain those safer environments? Oh, that's a tough question, but I think <laughs> Willie's ready with an answer. Morning, morning David. Morning to you. Morning, morning. I think, obviously, as you say, your business has boomed during the, the COVID pandemic. Yeah. Um, I think that um, there'll be a whole new industry spawn out of this. I don't know about the level, how it'll be sustained, you know, on the demand, mm -hmm. but I definitely think that, that your horizons will be opened in your markets. There'll be new channels everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping that we do learn from this. Yeah. You know, that obviously we're involved heavily, as you know, in, in retail. So, you know, I believe that all the multiple touch points, I think, will be sanitised from now to you know, forevermore. Yeah. That won't be a short-term thing because of covid you know, tills, you know, everything that you're operating where, where multiple customers, 100,000 customers a day mm -hmm. are touching the same services, I think now um, there may even be legislation. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, uh, you know, I don't have a, an insight there. I'm not saying that I'm part <laughs> of the government, but I think it may be something to look at going forward. So I think there's a huge opportunity for your business. Mm. Uh, and obviously you have geared up for that this year. Yeah. Uh, and and hopefully that will continue. You, you may see a slight dip 
I think, mm-hmm. you know, in the next year, 18 months. But I think that uh, there'll be greater opportunities than you first thought when you set up in this business. Oh, definitely. Yeah, thank you. Tom? Yeah, morning, David. Morning. Um, I agree with Willie. I think we're not going back. I mean, who amongst us had heard of a pandemic 18 months ago? We, we just yeah. didn't, didn't know anything about it. But now... Obviously, it's never been out the news and there's no going back here. So I, I think you're in a great space here and it's all about you being close to your customer, listening to what the customer needs and actually offering things that the customer might customer might not even know they need because mm. you're at the cutting edge of this. So I think you've just got to stay close to everything that's going on and hone the services you want so the customer mm. goes, right, I can get this from Sarandaf. How how did the name come about? It's 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 Maltese um, uh, clean and hygienic. Uh, the, the business was set up in Malta uh, many years ago, um, and uh, it's been in the UK for about six years now. Right. Um, so it's a franchise business. So I've got West Coast uh, Scotland for this work. So it's. Um, it's been a, it's a it's a horrible way to become busy. At the end of the day, it's a terrible human tragedy involved in this, and um, we've got to remember that. But I'm trying to now develop the business so that it can cater for for all the new folk that are wanting our work. So it's just very very strange times we live in, I guess. Yeah, I mean, listen, you you're providing a great service, so don't yeah. don't apologise yeah. for it. You know, mm. um, I think people their businesses have prospered through COVID, and that's absolutely fine mm. um, because you're providing an essential service now which frankly 18 months ago I didn't know we, we needed it yeah. but no. I, know, I know now yeah. so listen good yeah. luck <laughs> yeah well you know not to feel guilt about it you're absolutely right it is a tragedy what's happened but hopefully you're part of a solution yeah, well, you know, and, yeah. And, and hopefully preventing another one so yep. you know good luck and and and, and you can you know, keep in touch with the show and let us know how things work out for you over the next 18 months. Will do. Thank you very much indeed to you both. Thank you. Yes. Good luck. All right, David. Good luck. Cheers. We were talking earlier, gentlemen, uh, about Willie's fantastic vision for 11,000 homes and he said he's he's never used PR, but it reminded me that uh, this is about 30 years ago since Gerald Ratner made his infamous speech, if you remember, to 6,000 people at an Institute of Directors event where he joked, we do cut glass sherry decanters complete with six glasses on a silver-plated tray. People say, how can you sell for such a low price? I say because it's total crap. <laughs> so, have you ever regretted a public statement and why? Willie? Uh, yes, I have, and uh, but it wasn't in, in, in that vein. Um, many years ago, um, Tom will remember this, when, when you won the Entrepreneur of the Year Award, then you were the victim that had to go up and do a presentation to, <laughs> or, to all the businesses up at Glen Eagles the following year. Yep. And uh, I thought at the end, you know, you think you're in a room with friends and everyone, and, and you forget that there's maybe journalists in the room Mm-hmm. And uh, the dreaded chunk. Yes. Oh. So I gave the crowd 300 people an exclusive that I was signing a new 10 year contract with Asda the following week. And I completely panicked after it in case it was going to be in the papers the next day and I'd not signed it yet. So I'm very, oh. very fortunate. I would say that uh, the journalists, uh, I had a f- I worked with a few of them at the end, uh, especially the, the gentleman for the time, I think it was Terry Murden at the time, and says, guys, look, do me a favour. This could there's a, there's a lot of jobs in the line here, please. I don't want to be ahead of the game. And to be fair to them, they, they gave me their word and they didn't print it. But that was certainly a time when I was panicking for a few days. You can Trust a good journalist. Anyway, Tom, uh, ever made a statement you regretted? Oh, all the time. But um, I think I do. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't thinking of spending that much. But anyway, <laughs> and um, I think it's in this day. I mean, Ratner. That was before social media. Yes. But in today's cancel culture, you you got to be so careful what you're saying. But um, I think while he's saying he doesn't use PR because. Well, he just speaks to the journalist and that's it. And it's from the horse's mouth. And that's the best way to do these things. You know, um, going through middle people is, is is difficult because the message gets watered down and it's not quite what you wanted to say. So um, you need to be careful today with cancel culture and all the rest of it. And it's a, it's a bit of a minefield, I would say. Certainly a minefield, Willie. Yeah, I would just add to that... Um, 
one of the other reasons why I've not used PR and why I'm not on social media or anything like that is because in this city, if you ever get involved with Celtic or Rangers, you don't need to pay for PR. <laughs> you get it all for free. <laughs> but what advice would you give your team or anyone setting out in terms of promoting and protecting the brand? Yeah, I, I think somebody said, I think it was Sean who said earlier on about be yourself. Um, as the owner of the business, you've got to lead from the front. and But you've got to be genuine. I think people, people kind of sniff out bullshit at 20 paces these days Donald and is it a genuine thing that you're saying are you representing what your company is really about and obviously as the owner and the leader of that business you've got to lead from the front and um, it's as simple as that. It was interesting that we made Anne and Taylor Ferguson on last week that they indicated that they'd spent a lot of money on marketing which really hadn't paid off and then they were introduced to PR I think they mentioned Peter Sampson I think who's been a friend and part of for many many years and they said that that made a big big difference so there may be sectors and there may be things where PR is better than marketing you know so but um, I'd like to ask Donald Trump that one <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's nothing better than a journalist you can trust. Isn't that true, folks? Um, absolutely, absolutely. Have you found it? Aye, can you tell well, us about any? Aye, <laughs> just to come off it, the Herald's full of them, full of them. Aye, it's full of it, the Herald, that's for sure. And talking of PR, we'll put a nice bit of spin on it because next week's show, which will be a belter, obviously, is the last for a wee while as Tom and Willie take a summer break. I think people need a break from us, Donald, if I'm honest about totally it. Agree. But anyway. Your suggestions and ideas to build on the show's success keep flowing in. Don't forget, the best ones will receive a copy of the Scottish Enlightenment book by Arthur Herman, signed by Tom and Willie. For details on how to enter and for all you need about today's show and how to get involved, visit thisisgo.co.uk. If you have any questions for Tom and Willie or simply want business advice, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you get your podcasts. podcasts.